Welcome to Answer the Call with Kelsey Kemp. That's me. I am a career coach helping Christians discern their calling and boldly create a career that's aligned with it. So you could be as faithful and impactful as possible with the decades of work ahead. My mission is to help you find yours so you could run the good race. And when you finally meet your maker here, well done, good and faithful servant. On this podcast, you'll hear me interview guests from all walks of life who have boldly answered God's call throughout their career. And you'll also hear from me, providing in-depth strategies, trainings, and biblically-backed career advice from my perspective as a career coach and also just as someone who's passionate about striving to align my life with God's intended purpose for it, according to what He says in the Bible. I'm so grateful you're here to join me in answering the call, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Today, you are in for the ultimate treat of hearing from Brandon Nicely. He's the co-founder of Third Drive, a consultancy here in Austin helping purpose-driven entrepreneurial ventures with their strategy, marketing, development, and growth. I have no idea how they manage all that, but they do it quite well. Uh, And fun fact, Brandon's co-founder of Third Drive is actually the pastor of our church, (laughs) Christian Ray Flores. And our church community has actually turned into quite the little hubbub of entrepreneurial spirits who love the Lord, and Brandon is no exception. From growing up in West Virginia and getting his start in mechanical engineering, he has since gleaned many career accomplishments, like buckle up, (laughs) whether he was serving uh, in an entrepreneurial or engineering capacity at IBM and NASA, or working in private equity, even ministry, or building and raising over $150 million in tier one venture capital for a startup of his own, to now advising and building pathways for the success of other startups. Goodness, that was a barely even skimming off the top of the highlights list. Um, While all of these are obviously exceptionally impressive, the biggest impression that will be left on your heart after listening in on this conversation with Brandon is that he esteems his role as a disciple, maximizing his gifts in service to the Lord, higher than his esteem for the accolades he has collected. That can't be overemphasized. That just leaves such an impression on me. Um, and in this conversation, you could learn. look forward to hearing what Brandon has to share about many things, but a few are how to thoughtfully craft a career that integrates your faith and work, and why Christians should use our ambition for the Lord, and how and why we should be embracing of opportunities we have to assume positions of power and influence. Let me tell you, I have heard quite a few people speak on that topic, but honestly got the impression or the niggling sense that they were honestly just justifying their own idolatry of their own power and pride. But no, (laughs) Brandon's perspective on this cut me to the heart and sweetly redeemed my view of how we truly can be humble, but very ambitious in serving God. That, wow, just left such an impression on me. And one last thing, it's he shares how to effectively leverage one of the best career development tools available to us, that being wise counsel. Wise counsel, y'all, <laughs> and how young people can develop relationships with the right mentors. And hint, again, this is not what you would typically think. Um, Just asking to get coffee with people you look up up to and asking for their top five pieces of advice should not be your first strategy. You should definitely stick around to the end to hear Brandon's wisdom on that. And you have all that that I just shared and so much more to look forward to. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Brandon Nicely. Brandon, thank you. I'm so honored and thankful that you're here today to uh, share a bit about your career and faith journey and uh, the wisdom that you have to share from that, which I suspect is much. So thank you. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. 
Well, okay. I I know already I'm probably not going to do this justice, and this is going to be a very scant overview. But what I do know about you is you've had you've been all around from West Virginia to New York to Austin, where we're both at now, and how we met. Um, and working from uh, serving in the engineering capacity to having your own entrepreneurial ventures to now helping and developing others. You've done a lot, <laughs> a whole, whole lot. Um, it means that I'm getting old. That's all. I'm getting mean. old. Well, I hope that uh, my journey of getting old is at least partially as fruitful. <laughs> uh, and can you give a short <laughs> overview of what you're doing now? What I'm doing now? Yes. I'm co-founder of a company called Third Drive, which uh, myself and Christian Ray Flores basically built about five years ago, I guess, wow, going on five years now. Uh, we started a company really with both of our skill sets. Christian had a great background in uh, being really a, a media innovator and a, a rock star in Russia and a video producer and uh, really a creative thought leader and a church leader. And so he had this really great intersection of knowledge and insight at uh, you know, in, in the media world and, and really in how that affects <clears throat> culture and uh, also had a passion for God and wanted to create, you know, sort of a new ministry, which he did here in Austin, Texas, called The Tribe, which we're, we're you know, which I'm a part of. And I met him there and was really impressed with his ability to communicate, think, and uh, his desire as an entrepreneur. So my background was primarily in technology and entrepreneurial development and built a few companies, funded a few companies, had a, <clears throat> did a little private equity work, and then did a little um, mergers and acquisitions around some strategy and rolling up companies. And so I come from a technical background, but then realized that I had to be able to execute in the um, at the board level, if you will, and raise capital and, and then crossed over and on the other side. And, but I've never gotten too far away from operational uh, work because I like to stay and you know, keep my hands dirty. And I, I enjoy the game of building companies and I enjoy the opportunity to really influence people and, and, and be influenced by them and working together on a journey. And so sort of the hero's journey model, we're up to something. So you need to find your Aragons and your Legolas's and, you know, and if you're the Frodo, have to look that up later. <laughs> you're Frodo. This is all, you know, Lord of the Rings stuff. So if, oh, you're, goodness. if you're on this journey, you know, as a, as a ring bearer, then you need people, great people around you. And it's really about enrolling people and, and, and going on a journey together that's stimulating and encouraging. And, and I think, there's a lot of mistakes made and you tend to make them. <laughs> we, all make, we all make them, but after we've made them, we hopefully learn from them. And so I've been on this entrepreneurial journey since about 1995. Um, and they say that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. It turned, yes. my, turned out that that's how I actually began my entrepreneurial journey was I'd worked at IBM and that did, did a couple of years stint uh, in a church in New York city, working mm -hmm. with kids and sports leagues and, it was really fun, but uh, I wasn't able to ratchet back my lifestyle very well and uh, burn through a lot of cash and decide I need to go back into the work world and start working. And uh, so I ended up building my first company then. And from that point on, it's pretty hard to go back into uh, you know, a large corporate environment after you've done your own thing. Yes, that's what I've heard. And that's what I felt in some very, very small part. <laughs> um, but I, I would add it's actually useful to have had a corporate experience. Um, I spent about 10 years at, I, at IBM, and I think it formed a lot of my opinions and awareness and knowledge of how companies work. And, you know, we were, were working on Wall Street, building some of the largest global networks in the world with, you know, Morgan Stanley and Shearson and Solomon and Payne Weber and all these companies that were, uh, and we were, you know, and, my, <clears throat> and IBM gave me the fabric of knowledge and understanding to really be able to accelerate uh, my usefulness in the marketplace. So I think without that, I, I wouldn't, um, you know, without that and without a college degree and without an engineering background, I wouldn't have had sort of the, I would say the found, you know, foundational fabric to, to then ex explore from that. Yes. Um, I didn't realize that you, am I right in saying you were in full-time ministry with uh, that church in New York? 
I was. It was a planting in New York City to really influence people in New York. Started with about 11 people and ended up with like 7,000 people on Sunday. And, and it was really a great sort of uh, faith meets uh, reality in the East mm-hmm. Village of New York City and Manhattan. It was great. We had guys in our little Bible discussion group that were literally, one guy had a, a crown of thorns around his head, tattooed oh. in his head, but he was an atheist. It was all these like crazy, like... Um, dichotomies of, of belief and faith and expression and um we had from we had a small group that had one guy was the ceo of a brand large marketing company and right next to him was a guy that came out of prison a six foot eight black dude that was huge that I, I met on the street and was intimidated by and just invited him to come and he and his wife came a sweetheart of a guy his wife had been shot like in the head five times and was blind I mean, to another guy in, the, in that in our group that was actually Upper East Side, Park Avenue. Uh, he, he worked at Christie's and you know, <clears throat> classifying old masters paintings. And then we had like, so we had this hodgepodge of uh, men and women that were, you know, that, be- that came to faith and became mm-hmm. brothers and sisters in the Lord that loved each other deeply. And it was the most sort mm-hmm. of... Uh, eclectic <laughs> group I've ever been a part of. He had a guy named Dank who had this, he was a bike messenger, like this big, big dude, had his chains across his chest from riding, you know, a bicycle through Manhattan. Imagine doing that all day, trying to dodge taxis. Goodness. So anyway, um, it was a tremendous kind of time to, I think, reach into people's lives, provide hope and a future for every walk of life. And, and that I did that for a couple of years. And, uh, and then went back into, I mean, I, I did that while I was working at IBM, but um, I decided to go for a couple of years. And then I just wasn't really probably great ministry material. I had, I was always trying to build other, other things. And so I just, I don't think I was really, it's really not my giftedness, if you will. Mm. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, learned that it wasn't really the right thing for me. And then went back into uh, really thinking about how do we combine our faith in the marketplace? Oh, that's the big question that I'm excited to hear your insight on. Um, but going back to um, not even just early career, how about whenever you're thinking about starting your career? How, <laughs> how did you make your decisions in, in deciding where you were going to start? I don't college? even remember back then. <laughs> uh, uh, actually, when I was... I wasn't even going to go to college. Um, I, I had a football accident <laughs> in high school and was paralyzed from the neck down and, and for a short period of time. And I overcame that, but I played some more football and I had a scholarship in college and I chose not to do it. So I didn't, there was no driver for me to really go to college, but my stepmother, thankfully, stepped in and forced me, mm-hmm. wrote my application. And at the last minute I, I went to West Virginia University Wow. which was about $200, $240 for the first semester tuition. What a deal. <laughs> so being in-state, it was pretty reasonable. And I had a great engineering program. And I was great. And I mean, I was naturally good at math and science and physics. And, and so I just did what I, you know, I really, I think I just did what I knew I would be good at. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, like I had some love or, I mean, sometimes we're, we tend to like the things that we're good at. So I think that's yeah. was probably the guiding force. I didn't know that I was, going to be an engineer, but I knew that would be a path that would sort of make sense. And I think when I was in college, I had an opportunity to go into graduate school to be a part of a physics program. I loved it. And I was really good in physics. And I was invited to be a part of the graduate program by this particular professor. And I, I wish I had done it to this day because I, I, but I had this desire to make money and pay off my bills. And I had put myself through college and worked three jobs and basically shot animals to live off the food. And I mean, I was literally, this is West Virginia. We grew up, you know, we we're mountaineers. So I, you know, my, my, my childhood heroes were Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. And Incredible. So I, I literally, I don't get me started on that topic. So anyway, I, uh, one of the things that really helps my Texas, uh, I mean, fitting well in Texas was sort of this frontiersman attitude, but I, I loved you know, I loved the adventure, and so I went to college and <clears throat> did the engineering, did well in it, jumped out, though, and actually became a disciple of Jesus early in college. There was a campus minister who was very active, and a guy named Wyndham Shaw was a campus minister, great, great guy. He's now in Boston, <clears throat> and um, 
had an influence in my life because he was like this cool guy that played quarterback and football team and he, and, and he was in ministry. So it just had this really inspirational, I think, um, he, he could hunt and fish and he was just a real guy, you know, and I, I appreciate his real authentic faith and that inspired me. And so I, you know, uh, my first year in college, I was sort of in a fraternity and, you know, social chairman of the fraternity. Uh, you can imagine what that's like. And it was great. Yep. Fraternity, you know, great fraternity, um, Sigma Phi Epsilon. But from that, I actually focused more on my faith and how that worked with, you know, the students on campus, et cetera. But when I graduated, I, I chose not to go into the physics program because I felt like I just felt the drive to to make money. I was the first kid in my in my you know family to go to college, and yeah. <clears throat> I just felt like if I can make twenty five thirty thousand dollars, which was really the going rate for an engineer in nineteen eighty four, um, but that was Have great. To, that was good money. Yeah, I mean, translating into into today's dollars, I'm sure that's a nice sum. Um, um, so a theme in your college career decisions, um, at least picking your academic track, you kind of followed, what am I good at? And by the grace of God, I guess he designed us to also find satisfaction in where our efficiencies and strengths lie. Um, so that seemed to pave a natural path for you. But in some of the next early steps in your career in the ministry, you said it, you know, ultimately you pulled out of that after a time because that's not where your strengths lie. And so I see this theme and that being a guiding force. What were other guiding forces in your decision-making in your, I, I guess, maybe the first couple of years or 10 years in your career? I think it comes down to people mm -hmm. and, um, and sort of opportunity. I had gone to a, um, I was teaching optical communications right at the vestiture of, of the bell system. Mm. Ma Bell broke up and uh, it was an opportunity. I'd made a decision to go to North Carolina because that's where Wyndham was moving after to start a church in Charlotte. And so I had mm. jobs in Charlotte and found a job in Hickory, North Carolina and went there. So it was just, I, I was very intentional about trying to serve God. And in that journey, you know, it sort of uh, landed in, in that role, but it was, so it wasn't really like I was that forward. I wasn't really a forward thinker in the sense that when you're 20 years old, you don't really have a lot of context for the future and vision. Yeah. And even though I think I was, I have a natural sort of talent in looking forward at some level now, maybe because it's been developed over time. Then I had no clue. <laughs> I was just like, I know I want to go to Charlotte. Let's look for a job that actually has, you know, that can leverage my engineering background. And, you know, I, I loved physics, so that you know, optical communications was really interesting. So I did that. And I think when you're at that stage in your career, you just try to take the next best step that's sort of incrementally helpful or good, where you can learn a skill, something that you hopefully like, that you can build on that's in a marketplace that's actually interesting. But what I was looking for was mentorship. And so I think with Wyndham and, and other men in the church, I was looking for older men that could help provide guidance. And, mm -hmm. and that was helpful. Yeah. So uh, to what you said about kind of just making incremental decisions, it reminds me of something my friend said about really, we can only make decisions based off what we know today. And that's okay. You're not going to have the whole guidebook to life in year 20. And so just do the best you can with what you know. Um, and so there's this natural and understandable habit to make decisions just logically but where did faith start to come into your decision making and I, I guess I'm interested to hear the wisdom you have on in making decisions with God according to what you trying to discern his will for your life instead of just I'm going to go with what I want and what makes sense for me yeah, I mean, it was really at the center. I was a disciple of Jesus, and I wanted, that was my primary objective, was to grow. And so I tried to, I just, just make decisions to be around people that I wanted to grow into, if you will. Mm. I like imitate people that of faith that were successful and driven. And, and uh, you know, so that was really, I, I wasn't very good at learning from others. I, I wish I had been. I wish I had had more of a mentorship sort of drive in the marketplace because there is so much that can be learned from others 
that I didn't have to hit all the doors with my head, you know, to find my way around the room. But I think that, um, you know, you have to learn to learn, I think is sort of the uh, challenge when you're young. And how do you learn and how do you sit at someone's feet and how do you ask questions? And so I think the people that are wise do that. There's a lot of biblical guidance on, you know, if you wage war, obtain guidance. And through an abundance of counselors, there's victory. So Mm -hmm. I just somehow didn't put all that together. And so I made the best decisions I knew how to. And um, But faith was at the center. I mean, I moved to North Carolina because of my faith, not because of the career per se. And I had, so I had God first. And in, in that context, I wanted to be a part of a particular church and a particular team of leaders. And so under that, then I looked for you know jobs within a 60 minute radius of that town. So my, my decision priority were, were pretty clear mm-hmm. and I sort of relied on God to open the doors and he did. And so I also had to choose to leave that job only a year and a half later because it was just too much travel. And I spent six days a week on the road and oh. didn't allow me to. And I was traveling around with OTDRs and fusion splicers, big equipment on airplanes that you wouldn't want to be carrying. Um, and so I just had to make the choice. And, I, and I, at that particular time, an opportunity opened up at IBM. And that's how I joined IBM in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So. I'm curious how you did, as you say, like rely on God to open the doors, because I'm just imagining just as someone who is exceptionally hardworking, intelligent, uh, a go-getter, I would imagine for myself, it might be easy or tempting for any average person to just say, hey, I could open the doors myself. How did you if you have any practical advice for seeking and relying on God to open those doors for you? Well, I like to think that I had more God consciousness than I probably did. I saw like, I knew I wanted to go here. I knew these guys I could learn from and I wanted to be with them uh-huh. and I just committed. And I, I sort of, I think that was probably the key thing was that I committed mm-hmm. to, to a path that had a spiritual objective and, you know, I waited to see what doors opened, but I didn't wait. I went after it and, and mm-hmm. it just happened that one key door opened and I took it. So yeah. it wasn't like I had three options or uh-huh. I probably had options in other cities. I did I actually had Pittsburgh option and a Connecticut option from, you know, aircraft engine companies that were looking for engineers and um, Pratt Whitney. I remember <laughs> IBM actually up in some godforsaken place. So anyway, they, had <laughs> Who knows no, they never had sunshine. <laughs> it was actually in the, yeah, anyway, I won't, I won't say the city, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was way out in the middle of nowhere um, where the sun never shines. So I mean, anyway, I, I did, so I didn't give any of those really any merit or op- opportunity because, you know, I knew what I wanted. And I think that's important. Just you can't know everything, but what you can know, and that's what great, the great thing about following God and get, having a, a fabric and a pattern for your life is that you narrow the choices and it gives you a, a selection criteria by which if you pr- prioritize properly, then it, it somewhat becomes clear. So I think God gives us choice. That's one of the great things. And we have complete freedom and complete choice. And the cho- choices we make are the things we get to live with. True. Yeah. This is kind of reminding me of this topic I've been thinking about a lot. Like, what does it mean? Well, because I hear it around all the time, especially in, you know, I guess people my age. um, Well, I'll have you know, I'm mid-20s now, but early 20s. of of, uh, I'm not sure what to do. And I hear a lot. I'm just waiting on God to make things clear. And I've studied this out a lot more because I just had this sneaking suspicion, like, what does it mean to be faithful, which seems to be kind of more of an active tense thing, and also to wait, like, what does it look like to be faithful with your career and wait on God, but not just kind of be sitting around in a dark room doing nothing, because I just don't tend to think that's actually going to 
not just move you forward, but it just doesn't really seem to fit with what I've come to see as being faithful. Uh, What are your thoughts on how to be faithful and appropriately wait on the Lord to show you the way? Or is it just kind of in your mind going for it? Listen, God gives you free will. Yeah. If you want to be single, be single. If you want to be married, get married. But both of those things just serve the Lord, you know? So it's like, okay. you want to be an engineer, be an engineer. You want to be a teacher, be a teacher. I mean, I don't think that, uh, <clears throat> you know, sitting around navel gazing is ever a good strategy towards making any kind of decision. I think you have to go with what's in your heart, what you feel like is, you know, you have to kind of be aware at some level of what your gifts are and your talents are and then what the need is and then balance that with, you know, opportunity that's in front of you. But really what I think the key thing was to add the third element, which is your community insight and, and get, gain insight from others that are in your community that actually have wisdom, <laughs> have some longevity, some experience. And I think that's the key that is sometimes underutilized today. Yeah, the community model. Like you don't have to figure everything out on your own. It's actually encouraged not to. <laughs> you know, as you said before, um, I, I'm not sure of the exact verse reference, but I recognize it like in Proverbs of you're all the wiser for having more counsel. <laughs> yeah, and so to yeah. go out and seek that, do it. Um, go figure. This whole thing called life really has been done before us. Go right? figure. <laughs> So it's sort of a, you can't learn from those who have gone before you. And that's why the biblical model gives us so much wisdom mm-hmm. around, you know, what's, what's happened before when people have made certain choices. So there are principles, I think, that can be extracted from the Bible that give you wisdom if you allow them to. Mm-hmm. And others can help with those principles. So I think it's important, you know, to do a self-assessment and get other people's view on who they think you are and yeah. what they think your gifting is. Because you might not even have a context for what gifting or a language for how that looks. But, you know, so I think that being able to um, do the next best thing that you know is really the way to, the way to, you know, I can't put it one foot in front of the other is sort of the only way to go forward, right? And you have to be in action. And I think action is the key to any you know, sort of next step is you can't just sit and stare and wait for God to give you. I mean, I've never had that experience of God opening the clouds and telling me what to do. So no. he, gives no. us, he gives us the heart to do what we want to do. And I think our hearts are formed by, by God and by, you know, through experience and you just mm-hmm. honor God with whatever we do. Yeah, I hear you on that. That was an enormous revelation for me as I kind of came to my own understanding of uh, the principles of what you mentioned that no, that we shouldn't be waiting around for the clouds to part. I think uh, we could oftentimes idolize and have too much expectation on that kind of moment happening. And if it hasn't happened, you must not be on track when it, it, the reality is, as you said, no, I mean, we, God gave us free will and just uh, discern what it is that's like an honest desire on your heart. Um, and serve God with it. It does not have to be so mystical. It really doesn't. Listen, I mean, there have been times in my life when I have been off track, off track in mm-hmm. serving God. And he is so good that even when you're off track, he'll work with you. You know, like some of the most incredible accomplishments that I've had in my, my life, I look back and think were incredible for me, <clears throat> came not as a result of I mean, I, I, there's no way I'm not good enough to actually craft those things and make them happen. I, I had, so, I, I know I had, you know, support and <clears throat> that was nothing but the grace of God. And so I think just the understanding that God is good, he's a good father yeah. uh, and good fathers know how to give great gifts to their kids, even when they're being, you know, boneheads. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I must say though, with the, passage you're mentioning of, you know, uh, between James chapter one of God gives every good and perfect gift, or whether it be Matthew chapter seven, around verse seven of um, seek and you shall find, ask and you shall receive, knock and the door shall be open to you. Those are often used to and manipulated to have maybe too much weight on 
life's whatever I want. And God's just here to make my agenda happen. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Again, John, later on in the, you know, the latter part before he goes to the cross, <clears throat> he says, ask whatever you wish and, uh, and it'll be given to you. What you have to realize is the context of him saying that, you know, you are clean because of the three years you've spent with me and the word has cleaned you and, and me being around you is discipline you and you're up to my purposes and you're on my mission and you're my people and, and you <clears throat> followed me and left everything. And so in that context, he's, yeah, ask whatever you want and it'll be given to you. But there's a lot of, you know, you can't just, so there's, there's, a, there's a distinction there of being a follower and, and, and doing what you know to do and, and being discipled by the word and by others and, and having a, a righteous life that's been cleaned through a process that then gives you the heart to ask for whatever you will. And so for me, then I would never ask for, hey, I need a million dollars, God, and I need it fast, you know, like, I, I need it now. <laughs> It's just not the heart of, of somebody who's been pruned and been cleaned. And so there is context, as you say. So. Mm -hmm. Important note, <laughs> asterisk on that part of the conversation. <laughs> yes. Asterisk, yeah, on the bottom. <laughs> yes, yeah. If we could do that auditorily, that would be great. Uh, can you, I'm curious to dig into an example that you kind of alluded to of even whenever you did go off track, you later saw that God he is the God that does work all good, all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, so what, what was the story? I'm curious of that happening. Oh, we don't have time to go into all that. But okay. I, I <laughs> Too much. That, well, for about, um, I was really disappointed, frankly, um, with the church I was a part of and we sort of butted heads and there was some real roadkill that came as a result of that. I went my own way and <clears throat> left thinking that actually I, you know, I thinking that I wasn't good enough to be a Christian, that I um, mm -hmm. had so much pride and so many, just go down the list. I'm so this or that, that I'm the one example where God can't, his grace can't reach me. Um, <clears throat> and I had let others really at some level um, affect my thinking in a way that was very destructive and and this is why you have to have um, an abundance of advisors, not just one or two, oh, is you have to listen well, and you have to listen inside the context of the scriptures and not, people are, people are people, people are messy, people are going to make mistakes. That means religious people too. So you can't, your faith can't be based on that. And so I actually was very, had just some destruction in my life that I, I made poor decisions as well. But as a result, I found myself then, you know, in New York City without a job and uh, without a family, without friends. It was just really like a lonely time. And I had to reinvent, you know, kind of rethink what life was going to look like. It totally derailed me. And so for about almost 15 years, I didn't have a, uh, I would say, a faith forward lifestyle. Um, mm -hmm. It sort of moved to the back burners and I just felt the need to, um, you know, rely on my natural talents and just do something meaningful, ideally. And, and so I did. I started building companies and, you know, we built one that went from about two of us to about 650 people and a billion dollar market cap and through the IPO process and, you know, writing the S1 and going through during this crazy days, you raised a couple hundred million dollars. And it was just interesting to go to Silicon Valley and raise all that capital and build a company and hire a couple hundred people and, and then see the mistakes were made at the executive level and uh, just a lot of interesting times in the late 90s. And then into the 2000s where we were crossed out of that entrepreneurial mode more into the private equity where we funded bigger deals. We did the New York City. Well, anyway, we did a bunch of stuff in uh, large scale wireless and then uh -huh. uh, global satellite communication stuff that helped the company was publicly traded kind of roll up a couple companies and, and build a strategy around global maritime services, broadband to shipping vessels around the world. That was a really fun project, but all these things that we were able to buy three companies that kind of one plus one plus one equaled five, you know, what? equal in the equation of, of its value to the marketplace. And I won't go into all the details, but it was really fun as a technology thought leader to, to envision something and then make it happen. But there's no way I could have made it happen on my own. It's just like things would pop up. 
you know, when you start walking a journey, then, you know, when you're in, in necessity drives opportunity. If you walk it out faithfully, it's amazing how, you know, a lot of people, you know, give credit to quote unquote, the universe, you know, and, uh, and be all the time. It drives me nuts. <laughs> we'll do this for you. And the universe will do that for you. And, and it's just because they don't want to acknowledge that God is the God that created the universe, but he has set rules in motion that in fact work for anybody. So if I throw a ball at your face, it's going to hurt. It's going to hit you. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with faith. It has nothing. I mean, it's just, you know, there's physics involved. And so there are yeah. rules of, of gravity. There's rules. There's all kinds of rules that God's put in place to bless everyone. And I think people who are up to things, there's a way that God, you know, there's a way that <clears throat> if you're in action, things show up for what you're trying to create. And yeah. it's the grace of God that actually allows that to happen. Because he loves all people, not just people that are his, you know, obedient people. And so it's interesting. I just felt like I had been really uh, just, just disheartened in my spiritual life. And so what was left to do is throw myself into work. And it was really fun, but it was, you know, it was, it was a <laughs> uh, very narrowly dimensional life, I would say, where you give a lot to your work and you're just, you know, you focus on work. But it's, mm-hmm. but we produced some great things and we sold a couple big companies and it was fun. So, but having done that, it gave me an opportunity to experience a, a part of sort of professional um, experience that was sort of unique, at least and useful, I would say useful and valuable for me in terms of forming my vision around what was possible. And so when I came back to my faith and I really reawakened and God gave me the grace to change my life again, um, and that happened a lot through just my decisions and then God providing people in my path to learn from and people like Christian to where I get mentored from and discipled by it completely changed my life and how I showed up. And, and, uh, and so that helped me and it provided the opportunity for a second chance. And from that, we've been creating, taking some, some, you know, taking from some of that experience in the past and thinking about what could be done in the kingdom of God around the world by enrolling and empowering young entrepreneurs to create you know, hope and a future for them and, and help raise them up in the marketplace to hire many other people and have lots of jobs for other people. And, and it's just, a, we're creating a model that I'm pretty excited about that could be a global sort of way to encourage entrepreneurism and also support the entrepreneurs that are in the you know, companies in a way that allows them to grow and mature and be an oak tree where many birds can, you know, uh, where the birds of the air can actually nest in the trees. And so it's, I think it's about us building great infrastructure, building great people into great, you know, greater people that can then really lead and provide um, you know, new opportunities. There's no reason why you should have to go to college necessarily to work for a great company and learn and use your talents. And Amen. And so I, think I don't hear many people say that. So <laughs> that's just yeah, exciting. I, I love college. I mean, it was, it's a tremendous opportunity. And I think if you look at the future of college, it's going to change. It's really mm-hmm. about people being more driven to learn online and other ways, you know, but you're still going to need uh, great teachers and great professors. I just think the way they express their classes will be different. And so as we go and we look at the cost of college, not everybody can afford it. No. It's a huge debt. And I'm not sure everybody should afford it. And there still is a need to learn some of this information so that you can be useful in the marketplace. But leveraging both learning online and learning in, in a variety of group settings, plus mentorship, plus opportunity gives you that more balanced, I think, value proposition um, mm-hmm. for adding value. And, and to me, I've been all over Africa talking to governors and about this economic development opportunity, they get excited. I mean, they're like, hey, if you'll come to our you know, state, we'll give you money and mineral rights. And so yeah. there's, there's a desire to actually, and an opportunity to work with city leaders and government leaders to create new models for economic development that'll really um, empower uh, local leaders and really empower Christians that wanna raise up with good mm-hmm. hearts trying to build companies to help empower people. And so that's kind of the mission that we're on um, and we've got a nonprofit arm that we're doing some work in Mozambique that's with kids and that's after school and helping kids both in their character and their skills and in, you know, and in, in, in the way that they are able to compete in the international marketplace with computers and et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. And so these are, to you know, say the least, these are orphans that have been you know, orphaned because of HIV and there's like thousands of them in a small village there. And it's like, 
for us to be able to help there and to and begin looking at replicating that model, you know, that's the Ascend Mission Fund that we're working as part of Third Drive. And so there's a lot of things that we're sort of crafting now that are in its early genesis phases, but we hope that um, through cooperation and collaboration with other groups and and uh, our churches internationally and other churches internationally that we can we can get some work done. Incredible. This is such an ex- exceptional example of <clears throat> of letting well, I would say just acknowledging and utilizing to the max extent your unique talents, the way the Lord crafted your brain to think, the opportunities ahead of you to build up the Christian community in the secular realm, in the quote sacred realm, whatever that is. We're called to build up the Christian community no matter what sphere we're in or no matter what that looks like if we're (laughs) actually explicitly stating the gospel message or just producing a ministry of competent work and building up communities. And so I'm just so excited to know someone who's doing such a venture as this. Um, Well, we we need a lot of help and we need people that are interested, but I'd love nothing better than to be able to go into a city partner with the city leadership, partner with the university leadership to create an entrepreneurial development group with funds that could actually incubate new companies. We could helicopter in great technologies from the U.S. and other places. And you build this ecosystem that really is a new model. So I hope that that will be, well, I know that that will come to fruition. It's just a question of how much, how much time it takes. And it's really, you know, it's just something that, that we really like directionally and it's going to require a lot of help. One thing I would just parenthetically note is based on uh-huh. what says, we definitely want to serve Christians. We want them to be leaders because we think that they're, they're most qualified because their heart has been trained and they understand the priorities of, of, of God and family. And, and, and yet it's not just Christians we want to help. We want to help everyone because we believe that you know, everyone that has an opportunity and has desire to help other people should be helped. And it has nothing, it just happens that I think that when people recognize other leaders in their local marketplace that are doing great things to help other people and they have a faith in God, then it makes the gospel attractive. Mm. And so I think, you know, it is, I mean, there's no one else that's, that's served like Jesus did. And there's no one else that had the power of, you know, of the heavenly realms behind him. So I think we should be represented by both, you know, love and by power. And those mm-hmm. two things, you know, if, if we have just love, but there's no power behind it, there's something wrong. And I think mm-hmm. love is powerful. And so this idea of how love is expressed in the marketplace, to me, is what's really interesting. Ooh, could you go a bit more into how you feel love is expressed in the marketplace? Uh, I mean, to me, I feel like the first step is like doing a competent job. <laughs> uh, and how else will you would you build off of that? Well, I would say that the market, what is the marketplace? It's people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's people buying and selling and, cert, I mean, really trying to build value and, and make that value monetizable. Mm-hmm. But you're not just selling a widget. I mean, people who are selling shoes are people. And when you really connect with the service that you're providing and you're providing those services to people. So the nice thing about it is if you do it with a godly perspective, you'll you'll have all kinds of different ways that you'll serve with that market in that marketplace. You'll not only serve the product and the people that you're serving with your product, but you'll also think about tithing back into other nonprofit elements that, of that community. Yeah. But when you have customers, I mean, I've never had, like, I, I love the guys. I was a buyer, like a chief technical officer for this, you know, company that we had in New York city. And we used to have lots of companies that would, I would have three to five pitches a day from vendors trying to sell stuff. Right. But it wasn't just, a vendor to me, they were people. Mm-hmm. And even when I, you know, I just liked people. So the, the ability to connect with them, realize they have, they have families that they've left at home to be on the road, to sell this stuff, to, to have a beer with them after work and just shoot the breeze and get to know them. Some of my closest friends over the years have been my business relationships because you spend so much time with them, probably spend more time with them sometimes than your own family. If you're really on the road a lot. Yeah. And so the ability to provide an environment of, of love and support and, and commitment and let your word be your word 
like all of that's unique in the marketplace. And so it's really a beautiful thing when, you know, we used to have guys from Silicon Valley that were, um, would come out, we had about a dozen guys. We'd go to, every year we'd go to South Dakota and go pheasant hunting and we'd go to fly fishing in Colorado. And we'd have these group trips that were all different vendors, you know, and it, it, they were all marketplace buddies, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so our ability to love people, you know, extends, to me, it's just an opportunity for access to people. Think about mm-hmm. it. If you're trying to, you know, sometimes Christian communities are a little bit too myopic or a little bit too insulated, I would say. Yeah. And the ability to be out in the marketplace where people are actually dealing with their kids and dealing with what's yeah. happening with death and life and their parents. And listen, I mean, we have the answers to life. Why not be there as the salve and as the support for, you know, people that are hurting? Mm. Yes. I'm getting so much from this conversation because I have in the last year or so had this kind of bullwhip effect of or like snapping to one side and to back to another extreme of growing up always feeling like I embraced this philosophy that you're expressing of like Christians should embrace love and power um, not just be in a myopic stage just as um Christians holding pamphlets and wondering how can we reach these people that are in executive or C-suite levels and stuff. Be there, like embrace the power um, and use it for the, to honor the Lord. Um, but as I felt like I got way too enticed by what really became prosperity gospel, um, mm. I felt like I really needed to go back to embracing, uh, I think it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 of like uh, anyone living a godly life will experience persecution. And that's one thing, but just feeling like I was so hyper-focused on Jesus said, like, you can't love both God and money. You'll love one and hate the other. And so um, I'm pure, uh, personally just really filled by this message of redeeming the topic of power and money again. And uh, if you have any other wisdom to share to bring balance to that topic, I would personally appreciate it so much. This is just, I don't know how much this is wisdom, but it's just thoughts. You know, I think in general, um, it's really not about like money is just a byproduct of value. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And the value that we bring in being able to touch somebody in the office, the value that we bring by not being the gossip, tearing somebody else down on the team, yeah. you know, the product that we bring by being there when somebody gets divorced, mm-hmm. you know, um, the product, the value that we bring in having a vision and setting it by faith and attaining something that nobody else would have the nerve to do. I'm sorry, I get teared up here. It's like it's... You know, that, that's really, I mean, that's, that's value. That's real value. And so it's, the, it's in the marketplace because you're working and it's in there, but, and you're touching customers. And when, you, you know, when you're buying a product and, and somebody is, unethical how you handle that situation when you're um you know it's just somebody somebody politics and business and when you're dealing with teams and people are stabbing in you stabbing you in the back yeah. it happens how do you re- respond everybody's watching you what a light there is when you're in that situation so if we're not leaders at the office you know there's something wrong I mean, I just think at some level there's an opportunity for leadership because our characters have been formed by the God of the heavens and the earth that loves us more than anybody. And love produces fruit. You know, mm-hmm. love produces a product, a byproduct in you that the Holy Spirit produces that is just unique. And so we are different. And I can tell you there's more value there than there is hanging out smoking or drinking and getting you know all the other stuff that goes on that provides a social fabric if you have if you're if you're the kind of person that can you know just love people where they are you know the the marketplace is just what you do and where it gets expressed 
So I think <clears throat> there's, it's not even like you have to learn the three points to be shining a light in the marketplace. You just have to be a disciple and be out there and be engaged and care enough to be at that person's house when they have a death in the family, you know, show up. And so I think there's ways of showing up socially. There's ways of showing up, you know, um, from, from a corporate fam familial setting, you know, there's ways to show up in what you're in, uh, ambitious enough to take on, which I love is, you know, having the nerve to set big goals and going after them and rolling other people and getting out of your way. Uh, and so anyway, it's, it's a lot of fun. To me, I think that's one of the most, probably the most fun things I've done. I mean, to me, I love church. I love the celebration on Sunday, but it's not, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not where our faith is expressed. Our faith is expressed in the other six days of the week. Goodness. I feel like I need to uh, extract that clip and set it to inspirational music and listen to it every day. <laughs> that was incredible. It made me tear up as well, just how powerful of a point of view that is expressing this redemption of power for the Lord. And um, it seems to me like what's so redeemed about your view is that you held your position as a Christ follower more precious than your position as your job title. Uh, and you were honored by the appointment that God put you there for. And you acknowledged the opportunity to love people and see the positions or the products or the widgets you were selling or creating as just an avenue to get in touch with more people and um, be a witness to them that genuinely thank you so much <laughs> to help me personally just um, restore this kind of rubber band effect of okay no don't be a, a power monger no don't be don't feel like you need to swear off all belongings or stations of power for like what false humility yeah. uh no i just well, yeah, the, the ironic thing you know kelsey is that when i was in the marketplace building all those things i had actually not you know i wasn't following god consciously mm -hmm. but my life was still a byproduct of 13 years of following him so yeah. <laughs> my heart had been conditioned in a way that i did care about people and so that's the that's the great byproduct of being a disciple of Jesus is, you know, everybody loved Jesus except for those that were trying to, that were, you know, basically uh, threatened by him because of his power. And so yeah. the people loved him. He healed, he helped, he, he convicted them in their hearts and, and just the words that he spoke. And so how we show up in the marketplace, I mean, it's really funny. We are different and we should be different and we shouldn't be afraid to be ambitious. No. I mean, to me, I, I, I don't have any lack of ambition. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. But it's not personal ambition. I think that's the difference. It's not about mm -hmm. me trying to get to a certain position or a certain amount of income. It's really about what's possible when you stand in faith mm. for others. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. That just cut right to the heart for me of what you said. It's not about, oh gosh, uh, like what you could achieve. It's about what's possible for the kingdom. Don't be like the, I guess, the third servant in the parable of the talents of just squirreling away what you have to maximize for the glory of God. If you have ambition, by all means, use it. Um, but what is your end aim? And I'm so encouraged. Um, well, goodness. Good. Uh, I think you know, when Jesus had to ask the question, when the son of man returns, will he find faith, faith on the earth? You know, and I think that's the faith expressed is what interests me, whether it be somebody feeding the poor or whether it's someone who believes that we can, change the world through empowering people at an early age mm -hmm. to produce value, to create value from their God-given talents. It's just guidance, a guidance engine and a funding engine, an opportunity engine. Those mm -hmm. things I think are real possibilities. And so yeah. um, <laughs> there's no lack of opportunity. There's only lack of faith. And um, 
But I think the, the key is we need to be able to, to talk intergenerationally because when I was 20, I wouldn't have been able to even think this way. Um, I may have had ambition, but I had no idea how to express it. And so there's a need to sort of learn from others that have done things in the marketplace and who have, I would just say, you know, perspective. Yeah, perspective. <laughs> I, Imagine that. Usually correlates <laughs> with age. But, you know, I think <clears throat> the uh, older people that I know are underutilized when it comes to their ability to help, you know, other younger people. And so I think there's a need for us to learn how to learn. And I think learn how to learn in the marketplace is really important. Um, I should have shut that off before we had again, all these okay. options. <clears throat> but no worries. That's a much more charming sound usually than my cat screaming, which you might indeed hear in the background. I'm not sure I could hear it. <laughs> uh, well, what practical advice would you have for um, a young person who? Well, okay, let's hope that through this podcast, they're hearing the nudge, hey, go seek wise counsel. You need to. Um, what criteria would you give or wisdom would you give to them for seeking out wise counsel? Because I, I felt like I was following this advice and that ultimately, <laughs> it turned out I, I wasn't really following it wisely. I would have done things differently. I uh, kind of alluding back to something you mentioned was um, it's wise to have a, a variety of counsel. I kind of put my eggs all in one basket hearing from one person that ended up, it, he wasn't a disciple. I think he was kind of marketing that he knew about Jesus. So I would like take his advice or hire him as a mentor. Um, so anyway, a bit about my personal context on that uh, and why I care about asking this question of what advice would you give young people for seeking wise counsel? Yeah, well, I think there's, I guess the first thing that pops in my mind is you're not going to sit down over coffee and extract all this wisdom. Yeah. I mean, you can only, you know, absorb so much, right? And so I think what you have to do is seek for a relationship. Mm. And the only way to seek a relationship with an older person, really, that is you have to serve them. So if you just intentionally serve, choose somebody and serve them and serve them and serve them, then you spend time with them. Let me come over and babysit your kids. Let me come over and cook you dinner. Let me come over. I mean, that's practically the only way I know to squeeze into a busy person's life. Yes. And so in that, though, you get the opportunity for those sit-down times. and. Mm-hmm. as you walk sort of times. And that's how Jesus discipled, right? He it was in the, in the environment of life that you get to sit and watch. And I know that Christian used to say he would you know, sit, you know, Andy's go to his house and knew his wife and knew his kids and would try to learn how to have a great marriage. If you don't have, have a great marriage, you have to learn from other people who have great marriages. Right. And so, yeah. Um, but that doesn't happen. Like you can't get the top 10 list of great marriage over a coffee. I mean, you can, but it doesn't really mean anything until you see it's that visual uh, acting out of wisdom. And I think there's just a lot less of that today. Everybody wants to pick people's brains, but nobody wants to serve them. And so I think that's, that's solid quote. Yeah. That's, that's really, you have to serve at the master's feet. And that's, and you can take dumb it down a little bit to just mentorship levels, you know, and it's the same kind of thing. You don't get the access to people unless you, frankly, are willing to serve and put them in, in a position where you, you can serve them and be around them. And, and, and obviously you can't do that with a lot of people. So you have to kind of choose well. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, that's such a point. That's so distinct from just, you know, common I don't want to say common knowledge, maybe it's common lack of knowledge <laughs> to just, yeah, go get the, like the hit of top five advice and then pretend like you're forever more going to be perfect because you'll implement all of that. So what advice to, yeah. um, I have a lot of people who ask, you know, but it's really funny because there's like a funnel, right? Between those who ask, anybody can ask. And then if I don't get back to them right away, they fall by, right? And then, the, mm-hmm. then you sort of sometimes you can even do it purposely because you know that it's easy to drop a line or drop a call. But then the question is, do they persist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then think about it. Anybody will allow you to come over and bring dinner. 
sit and talk with the family. I mean, that, what a great opportunity. Anybody can cook. Anybody can buy favor. I mean, like anybody can get food. If you want to really invest, I mean, just push yourself into people's lives. And, and I think that's the thing that is missing is the willingness to really be, you know, uh, sit at the feet, sit at the feet of people. And like, you know, remember uh, Mr. Miyagi, mm-hmm. you know, well, he put him to work and you know, wax on, wax off. <laughs> and he's complaining, what am I doing? I'm going to clean your house. I'm doing your dishes. I'm doing it. But that, you know, is really, you know, there's truth in that. There's truth in the need to, um, I think, you know, invest in people so that they can invest in you. Mm. Goodness. <laughs> I'm getting, I feel like this is a, a free life consultation that I am getting an enormous amount of value from. Uh, just to close out, are there any last pieces of, uh, yeah, I keep on saying wisdom, but advice, whatever word you would like to put on it, uh, that you would like to speak into maybe the early 20s person that is nervous about their career, not knowing quite what to do or where to start or maybe even more pertinently feeling like okay i'm just trying to do my best i got this corporate job so i could at least build up my my resume but this is draining and i don't like it and maybe i want to quit (laughs) what would you have to say to that well i think you have to do what you do well it may not be your thing but you still have to do it well as as best you can so whatever you're doing whatever you're like whatever your hand you know, whatever you put your hand to do, do it well as serving the Lord, not man. And it's about motivation and it's about energy and it's about attitude more than it is about skill. It may not be your skill. I may want to be, you know, a uh, race car driver, but, you know, that's probably not my skill. My eyes are fading. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the point is, is that there's, there's a, when I, all I can say, when I was in, you know, my 20s, I tried to do the best I could to be the best, you know, optical fiber engineer there was and I realized that it wasn't fitting my lifestyle that I wanted to create spiritually so I had to make a shift I joined IBM and I jumped in both feet and I loved what I did but then I saw this dude (laughs) I saw this guy and I loved him he's a really nice guy but he'd been IBM 30 years and he had this big brown tie that I kid you not was like six inches wide no and it had a pineapple in the middle of it and it had stains that had probably been stained for like years. And every lunch he'd use it basically as a pseudo napkin, I think. And so, and all I wanted to do was talk about bass fishing. I'm thinking this is me 30 years from now. And I just didn't see me fitting into that environment that way. And so I was, a, you know, I did a bunch of, you know, manufacturing engineering and robotics and a bunch of really cool stuff that just, then I just pushed on to be in New York City. So each of these decisions in New York City, I got into the ministry for a little bit and was like, yeah, this is probably not for me. So you have to, it's not like I had perfect vision at any step of the, of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that, I went to build a company and I was severely disappointed at the end, actually, the way it turned out. And, um, but that came from some lessons, some really deep lessons at the board level and board management. Then I crossed over to private equity and I'm like, I'll do, you know, I was doing that and did the best, did some really cool stuff in private equity, but it just wasn't, I didn't want to be just a financier. So, you know, even now where I'm at, I, I, I love what I'm doing at, and, and I do with the best I can. And I think there's more to be done. And so there's continual shifts and, and sailing vernacular. We tack, you know, and we back and forth to get, you know, when you're sailing against the wind. And so there's no such thing as a straight path. And I think that's pretty well known. Yeah. And you have to embrace it each step. If you don't actually perform well in the job you're currently at, it's going to basically disqualify you for the future job. Yeah. So you have to do what you do well, even if you don't like it, or even if it's not your ideal situation. But once you gain new knowledge in the next step, adjust and do well in that. Like there's no, there's no job I've ever had that was 100% right on, you know. Yeah. I've never had a job that was absolutely perfect. Uh-huh. So I could focus on the complaints or I could focus on what am I giving and what am I gaining in that situation and then basically do it well for as long as it makes sense to do it well. Mm-hmm. And so you do have to, you know, and you don't want a job flip either. You want to do as you want to do it as long as you can 
And there's usually an op- a point when it becomes obvious when you, you shouldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, for 20 something year old, the benefit to them is great, man. You've got like, God willing, you've got a great amount of time ahead of you. Um, you just want to navigate well. And I think to navigate well, you have to, you know, obviously be in touch with God and the Holy Spirit and, and read your Bible and note and guidance of the principles and be refined, continue to re- be, be, you know, can you continue to be refined in your personality and in your character um, and how you live? And then in addition to that, have great guidance in your community and be committed to a faith community because you have to be known to actually be trans to actually get the help. And so people that church hop or don't actually press in and commit are only going to get so much out of that. So you have to have that combination, I think, to optimize um, decision making. And, you know, I haven't always done that well, but you do the best you can. And I think if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll press forward and he'll guide you along the way. It's really not rocket science. It's just, you know, doing the best you can with the good heart and, you know, but you have to commit. There's some basic things of committing to community and committing to people and serving people if you want to gain you know, wisdom. Well, thank you for demystifying <laughs> so much of what it means and what you should be looking out for to have a fruitful career. Um, that's not just satisfying to you, but effective for serving the kingdom. And so I greatly, I feel like can't really thoroughly express, but I greatly, greatly appreciate all that you've shared today and that you would be willing to come on and spend some of your Friday uh, speaking with me and sharing what you have to share with the listeners. So I know it'll be encouraging. Thank you, Brandon. Kelsey, I'm really, I mean, I appreciate you standing at the intersection of faith and career. And, and I just, you know, I love somebody in their mid twenties that's actually asking these questions. (laughs) Mid (laughs) twenties. That you're asking these questions because, you know, God willing, you have a lot of time ahead of you. And, you know, it's really, um, hopefully it'll be helpful for others. And I'm, I just appreciate that you have the heart to, to actually be asking these questions. You know, and I think you're way ahead of the game. So I'm excited oh. to see what happens in your life. Goodness. I, I think I'll be floating on cloud nine for the rest of the day. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. If you were enriched or encouraged by the work I put into today's episode, I would be so grateful if you left a review. All it takes is one minute or less to click on a few stars and write a few words about how this podcast has impacted you. And voila, you just made an instant impact on getting the word out about this show to those who would benefit from knowing it exists. As always, you can catch me on Instagram for daily insights, mini trainings, laughs, and sneak peeks into my life, all at Kelsey underscore The Called Career on Instagram. You could also get one of my best free resources, an in-depth guidebook on how to discern your core values and how to use them to make career decisions that will satisfy in the long run. You can get that guide for free right on the homepage of my website, kelseykemp.com. And that's it. Until next time, stay purposeful and tuned in to your calling. Bye for now.